It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Lyrically Lime. I'm the co-host of the show, Neil Haley, and I'm excited to welcome the program my, uh, the host of the show, Peyton Leonard. And Peyton, we have an amazing guest. Every week I uh, bring some really interesting stories to the table for you to talk, and it really relates to your brand as well, Peyton. Thanks for coming on again and, uh, and having another episode of Lyrically Lime. Thank you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. It's amazing. So thank you. All right. So let's introduce our guest. I'm excited. Yes, we have uh, on the show tonight, Tammy Stamps. She's an author, musician, I'm told. She's overcome so many different obstacles. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Tammy, how are you tonight? I'm good. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. All right, Peyton, I know you have the first question ready to roll and uh, ask Tammy questions because, again, I see that you guys both have overcome so much adversity that makes me say, hey, you know, I shouldn't complain about anything any day that goes through for what you guys have gone through. (laughs) So go ahead, Peyton, with that first question. Um, Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, Tammy, why did you write your book? And uh, can you tell us what the title of your book is? Sure. The The name of the book is called Our Time, and it's my memoir. And the reason I wrote the book is I escaped uh, 43 years of abuse at the hands of my father. And once I mm. escaped, you know, all of the anger and the rage that had been stopped started coming out. And so I started writing the book, and mainly as a journal, and it, it was very raw. And so I put it away for a while. It was kind of too much. And mm. um, years later... I had gone to a therapist in Florida, and she's one, her name is Joan Childs, and she's the one who encouraged me to write the book. She felt like once she heard my story that other people would uh, benefit from my journey. And so that was my, my whole passion is to empower other people. So I was all for it. So I went back and I rewrote it. And see, and I'm uh, that's gotcha. such, such that's and, and 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 that's part of therapy, right, Tammy? You wrote it, and uh, congrats on you know uh, published and having this opportunity. But really, you wrote this as therapy for you to finally finish this, so that you can as a closure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because like I say, the very first it was very raw, and it wasn't something that you would print. <laughs> but uh, when I went back to it. I was able to look at it somewhat differently 
and then put it in in terms that, you know, I felt would be beneficial for everyone. That's amazing. And how long did this abuse go for? It was for 43 years. 43 years. Wow. Yeah, I, I know that's somewhat unheard of, but it's true. Wow, I'm so sorry. That's really sad. But I, I'm well, glad you're here and you've overcome it. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, sometimes you have to go through the darkness to see the light. And so, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to go through it again, but, um, you know, it's it's made me who I am. It brought me to, to this point in my life where I can help other people. So going through, you said through That's childhood awesome. it started, Tammy. And then through childhood, you're yeah. telling me you let this continue to happen. And this is where abusers do is they abuse people because they finally figured out that they're just used to this. They become numb to it and they feel like it's a certain love, right, Tammy? In a way, because of just... Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, yes, the way that the perpetrator does things with covert language and then they develop a trauma bond, you know, at an early, early age. My, my father, in mm-hmm. his first marriage, had a daughter and he was not allowed to see her after age two because he had been inappropriate with her. And so I was the youngest. And so, you know, the perpetrator molds you. It's not like a carrot and a stick. They're nice to you, they act like they love you, and then they abuse you. And, and it, it's confusing. It's very confusing. And, mm. you know, I believe that abuse is kind of like the five stages of grief. You deny it, then you're angry, then you try and bargain, and then the depression hits. And then finally, you just kind of give up and you accept your fate. Wow. That's intense. That's so true. But so true. Mm-hmm. You know, and you accept it until you don't. <laughs> and that's what happened with yeah. me. I finally got to that point. Thanks to someone, one person, really, that cared enough to look. Changed my life. Saved my life. That's amazing. It, it's, it, so what it, other challenges were you... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go, Peyton. No, it's you. Go. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask, what other challenges were, were you able to overcome? Um, well, I know you have the abuse, but, like, what else has, have you been able to overcome throughout your life? Well, I think, you know, through abuse, your self-esteem, your confidence is shattered. And I think one of the things that I always was when I was growing up was very optimistic. I think that is the one thing that, uh, one of the several things, but one of the things for me emotionally that helped me survive. And so I overcame that other personality that accepted and was in kind of denial and pain to think, I used to say to myself, well, my my father has to die sometime. And when he does, then I'll have a life. I mean, it was mm. it was that, and I think wow. the demons you carry with you, the anger, the triggers, the reactions, the body reactions, I'm not so sure mm. that you really ever overcome it. You deal with it, and some days it's yeah. breath to breath, you know. Um, it's, it's a healing journey, and I think it's a lifelong healing journey, but you've got to be tender with yourself. You definitely do, and, 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 yeah. and, and I think that you, as you said, just – 
didn't recognize it till somebody finally, I mean, you knew it was abuse. You knew he didn't feel good. You knew you were, your self-esteem was in the toilet. You knew that you were just mm-hmm. absolutely sad, Tammy. But, however, you needed somebody else to be that person to say, hey, you know what? It, it was a therapist or somebody. You have to let, you have to have this stop. Finish this. This is, has to yeah. stop. Well, absolutely. My story was is just kind of um, interesting, I guess, because I don't know about anyone else, but I know when you're being abused and you're in a violent situation, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and, and physical abuse, that you're so scared. You want someone to see it so badly, but you're so scared that they will because you know either way your life is going to be turned upside down. And, you know, in my case, uh, no one knew about my abuse until I left at 3 a.m. on September 4th, 2004. Um, I had a, a friend of mine. I owned my own martial arts academy, and we had a talent show that mm-hmm. night uh, for the students and for myself. And so I sang that night. And it just so happened that I had some friends in my in the front row, and there was one chair behind me, and it was my father. Well, one of my friends saw him looking at me in a way that she didn't think was right. And so she came up to me the next day when I was by myself in my academy, and she said, Tim, somebody's hurt you. And my dad was so, um, had brainwashed us and threatened us so much that, you know, our reputation of our family was everything to them. And we were threatened, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. So I just said, I'm fine. No, no, they haven't. And I was hoping she'd walk away, but my heart jumped into my throat, and I was scared to death as a 43-year-old. And the next day she came up to me and she said, Tammy, I know who it was. And I said, who? And she said, your father. And within one week, I was gone. Wow. Um, Yeah. I mean, and to be... Yeah, if she wouldn't have said that, Excuse me. Yeah, no, I can't believe it. If she wouldn't have said that, you never would have gone. But why till 43 did it take you to say, I've had enough? That woman. Well, I tell you, that is what, if if you're familiar with perpetrators at all, they have what they have, covert language, that they embed in you as a little kid. It's a look. It's a gesture. It's a way they say things. It's a touch. No one else knows it. My dad was a master of the look, you know, along with other things. But just for instance, there's a a true story about a boy that was being abused by his father. And his father would tell his son, he'd say, you and I both know the truth. But if you ever tell the truth, and he would take his finger across his throat. Well, eventually it came out, and they were in court, and the father decided to represent himself. So the other side came up and started uh, questioning the boy, and that went fine. But when it was time for his father to come up and question him, the very first thing his father said was, you and I both know the truth. And he took his finger slightly across his throat, and the boy lost it. No one else knew what was going on except for the boy's attorney who said, we need to stop this now. You know, there's there's Mm. subtle things, and there's a trauma bond that when you're, mold, you're molded by someone, by the people that are supposed to love you for 43 years, and you're scared to death, you know, people say, well, why didn't you leave? Well, it's you're in fear, you're frozen, and you're, you just accept your fate, and you think, I'm strong enough to handle mm-hmm. it. 
I don't want to tear my family apart. I, I can just do this. He's going to die someday. You know, and it's, it's sickness. It's a very sick uh, environment. But it's, I, I remember being in my room one night and hearing my dad hit my sister with his fist against the fireplace. And she was my older sister. And, you know, you see things and you don't want that to happen to you. And it's fear-based. And my dad was a military man for a while, and he would always, to me, not to my sister, but would always say, we're back-to-back. You would never betray me. And if you do, (laughs) you know, threat, 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 and control. We had sleep deprivations. We had phone calls that were recorded. It 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 was just honestly horrible. Oh my gosh. So Peyton, and, and, and this is, um, brings to light about the, the show in so many ways that you want people like this on to tell these stories to say, regardless of what's happened in your life to never give up. Right. Peyton. Yeah, definitely. For sure. For sure. Your story is very inspiring and really amazing. And I'm so, so happy that you're out of that situation. Oh, me too. I, I really am. You know, when I first got out, I I had this slide that I was doing a presentation, uh, a book signing, and um, it had a picture of a red balloon, and behind the balloon and around it was a beautiful landscape. And I, for all, you know, I don't know why, but all of a sudden I thought, that red balloon to me represents hate and anger and rage and pain and guilt and all of those feelings. And when you're abused, you focus on the red balloon and that's all you're focusing mm. on. And if you can all of a sudden change your view, take a breath and look around it, you'll see the beauty in the world around you that you weren't able to see before. Mm. And all of a sudden you not only see the beauty around you, but you see the beauty inside of you. Yes. But as long as you focus mm. on what's wrong, that's what you're going to live with. And then, and that negative, right. and that negativity so that you that comes out of you, Tammy, regardless of what goes through on mm-hmm. in your life, just kind of means how you deal with things. But that, the, that's a follow up question to say. But you thrived in adversity. <laughs> with, I mean, uh, again, uh, <laughs> I, so you're not really the norm in a way that you went through so much abuse, but yet you thrived in martial arts. You're a musician. Mm-hmm. How, how did you kind of, kind of block it out of your mind and, and take the, sh- the shot, take the chances to be successful in the two crafts that you uh, have? Well, you know, it's kind of strange because it's ironic. Uh, Martial arts is something that my father encouraged me to get into. And Mm. it was kind of uh, a game because he knew that I would learn how to defend myself, but he knew he had brainwashed me and controlled me enough that I could not defend myself against him, and I wouldn't. And so it was an escape for me. You know, there were uh, several things that really saved my life, and martial arts and music were two of those things. Music allowed mm-hmm. me a voice that I never had, and martial arts gave me an opportunity to vent in a positive way. But, you know, it also showed me the lack of confidence yes. that I had because I would get at a national, international, U.S. team level, and most of the time I would get up to the semifinal level. And then I would just give up my attitude, my confidence, Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, in my mind to the other person, 
well, you worked harder, you're probably better, you deserve this, you know, and I give up. And so although I was successful, there were demons every day. But the, the music itself, um, that is something that when I was growing up, that really saved me because uh, Celine Dion is, is my favorite singer, and her music just touched me. I could feel it, and it is one of those things that made me feel. You know, you shut things off and you stop feeling except for because it hurts too bad. But she made me feel and I was always interested in music, but then when I left this situation of abuse, that's when I actually started writing music. And and not all of it was about abuse, but a lot of it was. But you know, mm-hmm. the other two two things that really saved my life was my dog. I know that sounds funny, but she was the one thing in my life that taught me what love was, that mm. how to love, and that I was lovable. And the the last thing that really saved my life was the shirt I put over my face when I was abused. Oh, you know, it, it saved a lot of, of horrible things for me. And so, you know, but music and martial arts, the movements and the music, they say, a therapist told me one time, she said, Tammy, that, that is what saved your life. Mm. Wow, it's a it's definitely a, 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 a wow. But uh, Peyton also is a musician. So Peyton, I know you have a musician question for Tammy. I did, um, but I feel like she's already answered it. Um, In a way, she uh, has. But we don't know. We mean, but you can talk about at least uh, Peyton explaining your musical talent and your what you've overcome with Lyme disease and how you still love music and it's it's a passion of yours and it helps you get through the day. So look at that relationship being between and uh, I think Tammy will be interested in learning about that. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, thanks. So yeah, um, having Lyme disease, um, I've also had trauma from my past that has deeply affected me um, and and has led me to have de- depression and borderline personality disorder and so many other mental illnesses and mm-hmm. so many other different things. Um, but music has really helped me through it all, uh, especially yeah. when I first came home from Jam- James Madison. Uh, mm-hmm. from, um, I had come home from college um uh, because I just couldn't keep up with classes. And I had Lyme at the time, but I didn't realize it. And then that, that November, I was diagnosed. Um, but music really helped me through that time. It was a very dark time. I remember days where I was just asking God to end my life because I just felt uh-huh. so miserable. <laughs> and I felt so yeah. much pain physically, mentally, spiritually, and like every kind of realm. And uh, music really gave me comfort and helped me to kind of pick myself up and and be able to just trust God with the pain that I was experiencing. And it just really taught me how to surrender all of those things that I've been through to him and allow me to heal from those things. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, in in a way, music saved my life, too. I mean, God saved my life ultimately, but it's through music and through my family and through therapy and everything else. It's definitely yeah. been a long journey, but um, I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned. And um, well, 
Yeah. Well, it's that's that's amazing because you know I I have a friend of mine who uh, was bit by a tick. It wasn't Lyme disease, but it was it was horrible, and she almost died. And it's affected Mm. her speech, her kidneys, her memory. I'm I'm amazed at what you're going through because that is horrible. It it really is. It's amazing that you we've made it through it. And you know, one of the things that you said with your story that I can I can certainly relate to is when you said you know you were in so much pain, you asked God to end your life, and you know mm-hmm. I can tell you how many times that, that I I as well did that. I said, please just don't open my eyes in the morning. I don't want to get up, and then my eyes right. open in the morning, and I just go, ah. <laughs> you know, take yeah. a deep breath and uh-huh. move on. But but I, I remember one time I had. Um, the gun to my head, and mm. I was just, you know, I, I think when people try and do that, it, it, it's just you can't escape the pain. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. And I remember yeah. I heard a voice, and I don't know, you know, if it was a spiritual thing or whatever, but it said, you're not done yet. And mm-hmm. honestly, I hated that. I hated that voice because I wanted to be done. Mm. But in retrospect, you know, I would... Um, I'm glad that I that it that I'm not done. <laughs> but the story you yeah. told just then, you know, it, it is amazing what music and and belief and just strength can get you through a lot. And you you had to be strong to get through what you were going through. Thank you. I appreciate that. You too. You too. <laughs> well, thank you. You both absolutely. And uh, when when I talk when you talk about your success in martial arts, I wanted to kind of jump onto that question, uh, Tammy. Do you, mm-hmm. you are you're still involved in it, even though your father got you involved? This is a passion of yours still, correct? Martial arts. It it is. It is. I uh, had my own martial arts academy in Wichita, Kansas for over 14 years and been in martial arts for about 38. And I work at a university and I teach self-defense to uh, women, female faculty and staff, and then to different businesses and that sort of thing. Because empowering women especially is is really a passion of mine, emotionally, physically, awesome. and, and otherwise. Wow. You know, and awesome. so I have a story, Tammy, and then I'm going to let Peyton ask another question. I uh, was a former okay. professional wrestler and wrestled on a TV station in Wichita, Kansas, when they did TV back in like '96 in this small, low-access television station in Wichita. So, really? I did, did, yeah, I forget what station oh, wow. it was. It was still I. Uh, I don't think it was on cable. It was like one of those with the antenna, and uh, I. It was in a TV <laughs> studio live uh, in Wichita, and I drive out from oh, Pitt, Pittsburgh, gosh. Pennsylvania, out to Wichita to wrestle. So, professional wrestling minor league. Oh and I was the, the it was the <laughs> Sunflower State Heavyweight Champion. So if I'm going back and dating myself, it was probably 1995, wow. 94, 95 uh-huh. in, Wichita, wow. in Wichita. Yeah. So I have memories of Wichita. Oh my that's it. So that's kind of a. Yeah. Uh, uh, I remember just flatland driving from Lawrence to Wichita to go do TV, where I would go and <laughs> stay at my friends, my one of my wrestling friends, buddy, uh, in Lawrence. So I'd stri- I'd drive straight from Lawrence. Mm-hmm stay in Lawrence and then go wrestle in Wichita the next night. 
So I remember all those things. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, a oh, what, yeah. yeah, for sure. But uh, I forget little TV station. <laughs> I forget the TV station, but it was one of those where they were had live wrestling, and this is '95. So yes. and and uh, you know, it's an old time studio where we we walk in and specifically uh, in the back, and it was a television studio, and I think it was like one of those. Uh, I think it was on cable. I don't know for sure, but. That that's my story of which time uh-huh. for you. <laughs> that's, it's a small world, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it truly is for sure, Tammy. That's uh, awesome. And it's all right. So Peyton, go <laughs> ahead. Uh, uh, if you have another question for uh, Tammy, again, we're talking to Tammy Stamps about her book, about uh, her her martial arts expertise, and then also uh, about life and dealing with abuse. I know, Peyton, there's got to be something else you want to ask Tammy before we let her go. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just wanted to ask, what advice would you give others who have been abused? Well, I would say, you know, if they haven't gotten out of this situation, my recommendations are use your voice. I mean, it's so prominent in, in our world today that, you know, it's it's been under the radar. Everybody's been, you know, told hush, hush. And it, it, that time is done. People need to stand up. And I'm so happy that people are starting to do that. But they need to tell someone. Because when you're silent, you're the victim. As long as you're silent, mm-hmm. you're a victim. And that gives the perpetrator power. And, and they continue to take it from you. And to me, you've got to tell someone, because someone you trust, obviously. But uh, you've right. got to get out because the longer you're in it, you know, the, and it keeps going on, the longer it's going to take for you to try and heal. So that's that's my advice is to really you know, um, appreciate yourself and yes. honor yourself mm-hmm. and stand up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, and Peyton, I guess you've gotten all of it about adversity. Her last question always Peyton asks is regarding adversity and how she's dealt with it. But the whole story has been about adversity, Peyton. What have you learned from Tammy today that, uh, will take our listeners and yourself, Peyton, uh, (laughs) moving forward, especially when we feel down about ourselves after what she's gone through in her life and to still, uh, be quite a success and also really giving back. Yeah, for sure. Um, what have I learned? I, I feel like I really took to what you said about just speaking up. Because I know for me, uh, a lot of the things that I've gone through happened at a very young age where I didn't really have a voice. And so now I'm in a place where I'm starting to grow and cultivate my voice. And so um, that's something I would definitely want to take to heart and encourage other people to find their voice. Um, yes. so it's, it's so important. Um, oh, it, it really is. It is. You know, definitely. one thing that if, if I can interject one thing, yeah, you know, sure. we're talking about, uh, your self esteem and that sort of thing. Once I wrote my book and I had my voice, that was the first time in my life. I actually had a voice. Even my music mm. changed. I started being able to put emotion in it. And I remember one night I was getting ready uh, for a, a book signing, and I was in the bathroom, and I looked in the mirror. I just happened to glance in the mirror and made eye contact with my, myself. And when I did, all of a sudden, 
this voice came in my head and it said, your heart is beating, you're breathing, mm. you are, you are a survivor and I'm so proud of you. And, and tears started coming down my eyes. It was that moment that all of a wow. sudden I started to love myself and you know, it, it's huge, but it's got to take a, a, everyone. I think to use your voice, like you were saying, when you're younger, it's, it's hard, but we need to start educating our youth that it's okay to say no. It's yeah. okay to speak up. No one has a right to cross that boundary if you don't want them to. I know as a, as a society, yes. we need to stand up. Absolutely. And Tammy, Absolutely. Where, so Tammy, where can we purchase your book and learn more about you? Where's the best place we can go? Well, you can go two different places. If you want to purchase the book, it's available on Amazon. Uh, just type my name in and uh, Tammy Stamps and then our time. It'll pop up. But I also have a website you can go to where you can uh, hear some of my music and also uh, more of my story. And that is www.ourtimestory.com. Excellent. Well, uh, best of luck and continued success with your book. And, Tammy, it was great talking to you, and thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks both of you. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Best of luck to both of you. Thank you. Okay, take care, Tammy. Thank you so much. All right, see you later. Thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. All right, that was Lyrically Lime, everyone. Take care. I really enjoyed the conversation I had with S.A. Williams and Lyrically Lime, but this guest, I get a kick out of this. Meeting this guy, he messaged me. His story's amazing, so I'm excited to welcome the program author, Eddie Neros. Eddie, thanks for calling, and your calling, I have to say calling, your calling in life is something that's quite intriguing and interesting. Did you ever think you'd have these conversations about it? Um, I mean, you know, you, you get caught up in certain things, but, uh, I mean, uh, I've always had a passion for writing. So, I mean, uh, I guess at the, at the, at the point I am right now, as far as working as a doorman, it's, it's helped me out, uh, as far as working on a doorman book, I'm working on other several projects. So it's been pretty interesting. How did you become a doorman? Tell me about that. Um, geez. Uh, so, so this, this June at uh, my building, I've been working at the same building. I'll make 25 years and I was actually put on by a, by a friend. And I've been told that a lot of these doorman gigs, it's, it's kind of like uh, who, you know, and, uh, he asked me one time back in the days, if I, you know, if I wanted a part-time job and, um, I, you know, I told him, yes, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't let him down. And I've been there ever since. Like I said, I make, I'll, I'll make 25 years in June. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, specifically the place where you're a doorman? Can you tell us the area where it's located and the name of the place? Um, well, you know what? Back in the days, our, our building used to be called uh, the Diplomat. Um, I don't really want, like, in the, as far as in the, tell her the, the, the building, the number building, though, but it's in the Upper East Side of New York, in New York City, Manhattan. Okay, and what's the name of the building now? You can't say, can you? Um, you know what? I, I, I actually, um, I mean, we don't go by a name anymore, so it's just really just basically the number, of, you know, the address of the building. But again, back in the days, it was called a diplomat. I mean, a lot of these buildings, they some of them still hold uh, like the the old time names, but they're they're rarely used anymore. 
All right, Eddie, let's talk about, uh, before we get into how you wrote a book about it, and it's more in a fiction where you really, the doorman and kind of what you really dreamed about, what stories do you have of being a doorman if we were doing a biography on you? What stories of, what interesting people have you met in New York? Um, like I said, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's funny because, uh, when, when I talk about being a doorman, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny how, um, as a doorman, you know, you, you get to, to meet a lot of people, but on, on very personal levels. And, um, whereas I've always said that, whereas, you know, a Dr. Joe or Johnson or whatnot, you know, is, is regarded as, as such in the field, I'll know him as his, you know, his first name as Bill and Dave. And, 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 and like I said, uh, you, you interact with these people, but it's more on a personal level. I, you know, being at the door for so many years, you get to know these people. And again, it's not that professional title. That, You've that never met any celebrities more, uh, being a doorman. Cause I remember when I go oh, to, uh, that's the question I wanted to ask you, what celebrities you've met? Oh, um, in, in my time, I'm actually, um, pretty cool with, uh, I'm not going to say personal friends, but I see him a lot, uh, an actor by the name of, uh, Brian Cox. He's a very distinguished uh, actor. He's been in a lot of movies. Um, there's another gentleman by the name of Hope McCallany. Um, I've met Kelsey Graham in my time. A uh, um, couple of sports guys. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Met fan. So several years back, I met uh, Carlos Delgado. And uh, not okay. too long ago, I met uh, Noah Syndergaard. That was actually pretty cool for me. So the place that you're a doorman, is it pretty wealthy neighborhood? Um, you know what? The area code uh, where I work at is uh, it's 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 one zero zero two one. So that supposedly is considered one of the wealthiest area codes in Manhattan. When you're talking about these name drops, it kind of reminds me. I when I go to the National Publicity Summit and cover, and as a member of the media, right across from Madison Square Garden, the Hotel Pennsylvania. If you talk to a doorman or the people right outside, you know, with the taxis and how crazy it is right across from MSG, the stories he has is amazing as well when he talks about what celebrity he's, he's met that have been across from MSG. Can you imagine that? When people used to stay at the Hotel Pennsylvania, a lot of people don't stay there anymore, Eddie, do they? <laughs> because of this, even though it's packed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'm pretty sure Right there, you're on that avenue, so I'm pretty sure, you know, especially with the, with the Madison Square Garden being right there, you get to see all kinds of people there uh, going to the games and whatnot, so that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, so I was talking to that guy, and we had a good interview or semi. I interview people on the streets, but let's kind of go into the book now. How did you kind of say, I'm going to write a book? You, I mean, your stories are very interesting, and we could have all these talks, but what said made you say, I'm going to write something that uh, is going to involve my profession but make it kind of different, right? Um, yeah, you know what? It, it, it was funny because, uh, like I said, I've always had a passion for writing, and I'm actually, you know, I, I, I veered off to write this other series that I was been working on. So the, the Doorman memoir, it just came about. I mean, uh, it was just one of those things where, um, again, being a doorman, I mean, it, it was, it was, you know, you hear all these stories of people that 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 live in these buildings, but I, I just figured that you never really heard it straight from the horse's mouth, if you want to call it like that, because it's, it's basically, you know, we're the guys at the door that pretty much see and, and hear everything. So I just kind of started piecing together little stories. And these are, these are, I honestly swear, 100% true stories about what I've dealt with in, uh, in my building, in my time. So, okay. So it's real. 
Not you did not make a fiction story. Okay, I'm just trying to gather. So these are all real stories that happened. Did you have to change the people's names just to protect them? Um, yes, yes, that, definitely that. Uh, I mean, right now, like I said, uh, right now, you know, the, the, the memoir that I wrote, it's it's done, but I never really pushed it, only because you figure a memoir is, is better reserved for someone that actually retires from a, from a job, and because I'm still working there, I kind of put it on hold. But um, I had a couple of years back, I I'd done some. Uh, I was a contributing writer for a real estate website called uh, BrickUnderground.com. And uh, basically, uh, they had this uh, bi-weekly segment called "A Doorman Speaks," and I was uh, I was their their contributing doorman. So I was writing these little tidbits and little stories about uh about what it was to be a doorman in in a, in a residential building. Now you wrote so you write other books too, right, Eddie? You're saying the memoir is going to be published once you are done be, retired as a doorman. But what other writing are you doing? Um, I currently I, I do have a series out right now. Uh, it's it's a fictional series. Uh, it's called Hispanicus. Uh, the first one came out. It's uh, Hispanicus: The Apostate Life of Antonio Pantero, and the second one is the Hispanicus: Abandoned Road. And uh, that's basically it's a, it's a fictional story about a drug dealer from the Bronx who, um, as an adult, begins to retell his uh, his life story. But at the same time, he's he's basically trying to right certain things that he's done wrong, fearing that uh, something bad's about to happen to him. Very interesting. And how do you have time? Do you just write late at night, uh, especially working full time? You know what? This is one secret I'll let out. I write at work. I mean, I work the night shift, and it allows me, you know, my downtime at night until like one in the morning where no one's walking in the building or bothering, and I'm able to actually get a lot of writing done. So. A lot of secrets are uh, uh, being, uh, we're, we're told, coming straight from the door. So when you're, uh, you know, tired, you know, uh, when do you sleep if you're working nights? Um, yeah, my, my hours are all are pretty pretty crazy. I, I, it was funny because about a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm trying to, like, figure out. And I, I came out to the, to, to the point where I think I, I sleep basically seven and a half hours a day. Um, and that's in spurts. So, um, I mean, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I come home at night, late at night. I mean, I've been working the, the night shift for such a long time that your body kind of gets used to it. So it's, you know, it, it's pretty, it throws you off, but I, I've made it work. And so how long, so this is a series you're writing right now. When did you publish your first book? Um, this, you know what? I, I actually, I was, I was signed with the, with the publishing company several years back. So I would say going back to like around 2012. And at that time, the title of this series that I have now was called, uh, his hyphen panic. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason I was dropped from, from that publishing company. And several years ago it was picked up by another publishing company and they just felt best to, it's the same story, but they just wanted to change the title and give it a, give it a little bit of a new life. So uh, it was titled. It was retitled to Hispanicus now. Okay, very, very interesting. And so, where's the best place we can purchase your book and learn more about you, Eddie? Uh, really, uh, the interesting story. I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about it. I can't wait till the memoir comes out. When are you retiring too? So, where can we find info on you? And when is that retirement coming? <laughs> Oh, you know what? I'm still young, so I mean, uh, I'm only 46. So oh, geez, you know, okay. You know, not not too. <laughs> but uh, but I am actually. I uh, the the best thing with me uh, recently was I, I landed a 
uh, an agent slash uh, manager. So she's actually been pushing me to work on uh, this uh, comedy series. And it actually is about a fictional uh, building in, in a city called uh, the Belmore Beaumont Fisher Building. And it's about a, a doorman there and the staff and the trials and tribulations of uh, of everything they got to deal with. So I'm kind of interjecting uh, some of the some of the memoir into this comedy series. So I'm hoping that uh, you know once it's done and and we pitch it right, hopefully somebody will pick it up. So it should be pretty cool. And and where can we connect with you, Eddie? Is Amazon the books are available? Also, can we are you on social media? We can find you. Yes, uh, definitely. So right now, the series that I do have out is called Hispanicus, and uh, you can catch it on uh, Amazon. Um, also, uh, through my publisher at uh, printhousebooks.com. It's also available through uh, Walmart online, Barnes & Noble online. And I'm also very active on uh, Twitter, and people can connect with me uh, at Eddie C. Author on Twitter. All right, Eddie, thanks for calling, man. We'll just definitely uh, touch base off air, see how we can help each other out, and appreciate you calling. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back bye-bye. in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the Neil Haley Network and uh, Author's Corner. And, you know, it's just interesting. Uh, I've had a very interesting group of people on the show. Last night I was talking education. I, I'm glad to be back working nights in a way. It's kind of the days that it's back to my roots when I first started in radio. I just have gotten so busy after doing the whole celebrity tour thing for two years. I needed to take a break. The 9 to 11 feel of having to be available in the mornings all the time and 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 interviewing people at the drop of a hat that were celebrities. I thought, you know, I'm glad I'm kind of connecting back to my roots of every night doing a show because then I could be who I am. I've already gone through the hard day and I'm summarizing things. Well, my guest, I, it's kind of funny with S.A. Williams to start out the show and she was in, started out in journalism in Syracuse. Now I have a real journalist meeting somebody still in the business, in the television business, Catherine Bosley. Uh, Catherine, thanks for calling and uh, I want to get some tips from you and saying, hey, am I pretty good for just a natural that just created this all my own 10 years ago in the way I use my... Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. never I never took any journalism classes. I was a former professional wrestler, so that helps in a lot of ways to have the gift, the gab, and I did some TV and radio with wrestling once I became myself, but I, 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 use, I use a lot of what my teaching techniques for asking questions, because... Catherine, isn't that the most important sure. thing as a journalist is being able to ask the right questions? Oh, it is. And it's always being able to feel the story. You know, so often journalists are expected to be keep themselves outside of the story, not be affected by the story. But I believe what really makes a good journalist is someone who can get into the story, who can feel the story, and who's asking the same questions that everybody else really wants to know because we're just all human when it all comes down to it. Exactly. And that and that's the question I want to ask you. And uh, and in your story, what made you? You know, now you're really focusing on your writing and speaking as a TV journalist, deciding, you know what, I'm going to take a step back. So there has to be some sort of story that changed your life. Everyone's journey changes in certain ways all the time. As like I think you've been hearing certain speeches I've been saying throughout the shows today. It's just it's just amazing how our life changes at a drop of a. Of a hat or a dime or whatever, or just, just something that you just don't expect and you didn't expect you're going that direction and now you're going it. 
Yeah, then you're just kind of thrown out there. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I say that I treasure that I've learned in, in television news is that everybody does have a story. And uh, some of them are very heartbreaking, some of them are very enlightening and encouraging and, and wonderful. And uh, so I really loved my job that way. Then all of a sudden, I became the story. Uh, and my life turned absolutely upside down. So basically it goes back to I was, I was in television news in a little Youngstown, Ohio, and I, uh, I came down with an illness that could have been easily fatal, and we went on for a few months. My new husband and I thinking that you know, we got to prepare for the worst. And so obviously then I, I survived it, and when uh, the doctor said, you are going to live, it was a lung illness, a rare lung illness. My husband and I went off to Key West to celebrate, first of all, our one-year anniversary and survival. Um, and just before the lung illness, a couple of years before that, they found out that I had uh, a bad heart. I was born with a, a heart defect, oh, so I had open-heart okay. surgery. Oh, so I was kind of mm-hmm. really being – illness was kind of a big theme in my life. And when my husband and I went to Key West to celebrate survival, I just really wanted to break break free. And so I, I stepped out of character and I broke free and we had a wild night in Key West and pictures and video were taken. Now this was back in 2003 before we knew what to do with pictures on our cell phones. So I really wasn't worried about social media aspect. What happened though was there were there was a company that's similar to Girls Gone Wild and there was a website that features events that are uh, spring break craziness in, in Key West. And, you know, I I was embarrassed with what I did. I stepped out of character. I was ashamed. And so we thought, well, we'll just leave it in Key West. Um, and it was nothing that, I mean, it was a wet t-shirt contest. It was, it right, was silliness. Right, right. And, and so leave it in Key West, come back, go on celebrating that I'm alive and that we got a future together. And uh, 10 months later, I get this phone call, this vicious phone call from an anonymous woman that says, you do know that these pictures of you are out there. And she she called me a name. Your days are over. Have a very Merry Christmas. I got the phone call. There's a message on my answering machine on Christmas uh, morning. Well, we're expecting a house full of guests because it's supposed to be this very special Christmas of celebrating um, that we're going to live our lives. And uh, lo and behold, there, the video and the pictures were all over the Internet. They were spreading all over town, and I was beside myself. So I lost my job. Oh, no. Wow. As TV anchor, I lost uh, some relationships. I lost any sense of self-esteem or self-respect. You know, everywhere I went, I was sure everybody just saw this this these horrific pictures and, and video of me. And, and uh, I became suicidal. Um, I went viral. My my name soared to the top of major search engine list, knocking out the likes of people like Paris Hilton and Britney Spears. Uh, I was getting phone calls from Good Morning America, Inside Edition, The Oprah Show, The O'Reilly Factor, Fox oh, yeah. and Friends. Wow. It went on and on all to come on their shows and share basically my shame. So, uh, you know, I, I felt like I had absolutely no escape. So I always say it was faith, family, and friends that really pulled me out of this at, at the last minute. And uh, and I decided to, to fight back. And three federal lawsuits later, uh, I got copyright ownership to all of those images from QS, giving me uh, a, a ways to at least pull back 
the yes, spread, yes. the dissemination of, of the pieces and images. And uh, also, I, uh, Larry Flint and Hustler Magazine used one of the, one of those pictures that I owned, and we oh ended up suing them as well, and, and we won. So you can just imagine, I mean, uh, it was a little... The the theme really was, uh, you know, girl next door, gone girl gone wild uh, type thing, and it, it really... It was, it just destroyed me for the longest time. But as I worked my way back and I went through the lawsuits and then I got a second chance to reclaim my career in television news in Cleveland, Ohio, a much bigger and better yes. market, um, I, I realized that, you know, I have this story. As much as I wanted to escape the story and run away from it, when you survive cyber shaming, global shaming like that, that's not something you can really step away from. And it becomes part of you and you realize you got to use this story for something. So in in the middle of it all, when uh, when I was at my worst, I I made a vow that I I could survive it. I was going to make some good out of it. So I'm on my way to doing that. I uh, just finished my my TEDx is up there. So I encourage everybody to please go watch this TEDx. It explains the story much clear more clearly, and it has a call to action um, for for everybody to understand that we are living in a time where there's no more room for what was I thinking moment before it could become attached to you forever for all to see one mouse click away. Uh, so I've got a very, very relevant message, and I really hope that it, it makes a difference for some people and that oh, they wow. see things differently yes. as far as what they do on and off, right? So um, very right. interesting, the, the, do the TEDx thing. And what, what you're really trying to teach people is that you can overcome uh, bad press in how to figure out ways of – what what is the kind of theme you're trying to teach people? Well, there are two things. This really is, is twofold. Number one, it is understand that you cannot be too careful out there. Remember, there's always cameras watching you. When you think that you're just going to have a moment for a moment or that this what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, it doesn't anymore. So whenever there's a little voice inside your head that says, I probably shouldn't be doing this, now is the time to start to listen to that voice. Number one, so especially kids, and they're going on spring break, you know, and, and they just cut loose, and then they'll come back to haunt them. So that's that's number one message. Number two message is this is survivable. You know, as I've continued on my journey in television news, more and more stories came across our desks of, of kids killing themselves because they were so humiliated online, bullied often cyberbullied in the way mine was too. I mean, the people had horrible things to say, strangers, just hundreds of comments coming in every day and it gets to you. And that's where the despair comes in and, and the thought that you have no, there's no escape ever, but you can. And, uh, you know, I, I bring it down to what I call a pact. You got to turn to your people, turn to people. A lot of kids, they retract and they go into hiding when they're being cyber shamed, cyber bullied, whatever it may be. You also have to abandon the haters and temptations online and off. That's the A. And the C is to connect with professionals for guidance when you need it, because there are professionals who are starting to understand the, the, the torment yes. that comes with any kind of a cyber bull, cyber humiliation. And finally, the last one, the T is this too shall pass. And so often people think that it will never pass. What they're going through in life at all will never pass. And it, it will, and I'm there to say there is life on the other side of, of that kind of shame, that kind of uh, torment. And so it's such a, 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 a it really does speak to us uh, uh, about that and how people can get. There's a story out that a New Jersey woman never went out 
public, but her ex-husband went and went after her tremendously and ruined her name online by spending money and creating all these websites and these different things. It's terrible. You have to really be an advocate to these people and what they're doing and how they're destroying people. Right. We all have to be so vigilant about it, too. And we all have to understand that what we see online is not necessarily the truth. And every time you click on something to share it or forward it with someone else because you think, ooh, this is interesting stuff, and it could all be a lie. And by you continuing to pass it on, when it's something bad, leave it alone. Just leave it alone because you just don't know what you're doing to someone else's life. And how did that keep your um, relationships going through that challenge of almost committing suicide through those pictures being released? Did that hurt your family life and stuff because of the challenges of what you were going through? Oh, of course. You know, whenever a loved one is hurting, uh, it it almost hurts you more. And I watched my my friends and my family certainly suffer through it with me, if not, like I said, more, because they felt like there was nothing that they could do. Um, Yeah, I I lost a couple of friends, wanted nothing to do with me anymore. And so and that was fine, because then you find out who who your true friends are. And, you know, and as bad as the experience was, there's also another side to it that is so incredible, because people also came out of the woodwork to show support and understanding. And they were saying things such as, you know, oh my gosh, if if a camera caught me doing what I did when I was a teenager, oh my goodness, I would be beside myself. So, you know, no one is without mistakes in their lives. It's just what happens with our mistakes these days, you know, how they're blown out of proportion and they're misinterpreted and taken out of context. And it, it's it's such a shame, and it's time for us to understand that this happened, to take care of ourselves, take care of each other, and not be part of it. All right. Best place we can find information on you so people can communicate, check check you out, and uh, help. you can help uh, advocate for them when they're dealing with these challenges. Where can you go? Oh, right. And I am always looking for stages now. I'm really turning this to Speaking, I love to speak. I love to get on stage to talk about this, and especially with younger people, especially on a co- on a college campus, because that's where uh, I think I could be most effective. So, KatherineBosley.com, just as it sounds, C A T H E R I N E Bosley, as in Tom Bosley, B O S L E Y, KatherineBosley.com. Please also look for my TED Talk. Just hit yes. TEDx Catherine Bosley, and you will come across it. And, uh, you know, I'm all, um, I'm everywhere. I'll come on, on Twitter and, and LinkedIn and, uh, you know, Facebook. So, um, please, uh, I, I am very responsive to anybody who reaches out with me, to me with questions, with comments, any way I can help anybody, any way I can push it along. I also have a forthcoming book called, uh, the bear facts. And, uh, hopefully that'll be out by the end of the year. All right, Catherine. Well, thanks for calling. We'll definitely stay in touch. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thanks again. All right, see you later. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.